Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Stories Season 3. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 11, Gingerbread, which includes a literal witch hunt. In particular, I'll cover the themes of the episode about mob rule, parenting, and the danger of fear, how this is a well-structured episode in itself that doesn't move the narrative arc of Season 3, and some of my most favorite and very fun lines of dialogue in all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Gingerbread was directed by James Whitmore Jr. and written by Jane Espenson and Tanya St. John. The original air date of this episode was January 12, 1999. We start with opening conflict that relates to one of the themes of the episode. Buffy is in the park at night patrolling and Joyce surprises her with a snack. She says she wanted to show interest in what Buffy is doing and thought it was about time she saw what slaying was like. Buffy is not too thrilled and says, you know that slaying is kind of an alone thing. She also tries to convince Joyce that it's dull, but a vampire attacks. Joyce cheers her on saying helpful things like, he's getting away. And she also says, oh my God, it's Mr. Sanderson from the bank. Buffy chases after Mr. Sanderson after telling Joyce to stay. Joyce wanders the park alone and sees two little kids, a blonde boy and blonde girl, slaughtered on the merry-go-round. Symbols are drawn on their hands, and at two minutes, eight seconds in, we go to the credits. When we come back, the police are there in the park. Joyce is extremely upset. She says to Buffy, they were little kids. Did you see them? So tiny. Buffy very much is taking the role of the grown-up here. She says to her mom, I'm so sorry that you had to see this. We are approaching the story spark or inciting incident. This usually comes 10% through a story, and it's what gets our main plot rolling. Here, we could see it as the murder of the children, and in another type of episode, that might be it. But here, the story will be about how the townspeople react to that murder, the growing paranoia, the mob mentality. So I see the spark as the reaction to it. Starting with Joyce, Buffy hugs Joyce, tells her it'll be okay, she'll find whoever did this. But Joyce points out that Buffy can't make it right. And this could be a spark, this idea that Joyce has that, which which isn't wrong, that Buffy 
can't go back and undo this. She can't change the fact that these children were killed. But I see it as another moment because Buffy tells Joyce to try to calm down. But then we cut to Giles in the library. And at 4 minutes 28 seconds in, Buffy says, don't tell me to calm down. And she goes on to say these are little kids. Her mom can't even talk. So I see that as the spark here because Joyce's fear and panic and feeling that anything Buffy can do is not enough is transmitted to Buffy who then expresses this. And we see that it is beyond what Buffy normally uh, would say or do because when Giles tells her that this may have been done by humans based on that mark on the kid's hands, she wants a loophole in that slayers don't kill people rule. And we have never seen Buffy budge from that. She was so hard on herself in Ted when she thought that she had knocked Ted down the stairs and killed him. Even though he hit her really hard first, Buffy knew that she went beyond what she needed to defend herself and felt that she had no right to do that and was devastated at killing a human. And here she is saying, you know, find me a loophole. And Giles tells her he knows it was a dreadful crime, but he is a little bit shocked that she said this. And he tells her she's taking it personally. And Buffy agrees that it is completely personal and find the people who did this. And it's not clear at that point if Buffy is still looking for that loophole or if she has calmed down a bit to simply feel like, okay, we need to find whoever did this. Maybe her plan is turn him over to the police. But she is on the edge in a way that we have not seen before. We then get a bit of comic relief. Xander and Oz are in line at the cafeteria. Xander makes awkward conversation about Oz getting a burrito. This is one of the first times, or maybe the first time, we see them together since Oz walking in on Willow and Xander kissing. Amy is also at the table, as is Willow. And Oz comments that he hasn't seen her all day and asks where she's been. Not in any sort of accusatory way, just kind of like, oh, where you been? And Xander immediately says, not with me. No, sir. Ask anyone. No. There is an awkward silence. And then they start talking about Buffy's birthday next week and getting gifts. But they cut off when Buffy approaches. She tells them about the murder of the children and that her mom found them. And when she explains that Joyce came out to watch her slaying, Willow is a little bit envious that Joyce actually took the time to try to bond with Buffy, making it clear that her mother has shown no interest in her. But then Joyce walks up to the table. Buffy is quite taken aback at seeing her mom at school. Joyce asks if Buffy has talked to Giles yet about the kids. And Buffy says, yes, that he thinks it might be ritual or a cult and that she'll be adding to her patrol. And Joyce says, a cult, like witches. Willow chokes on what she's eating and Joyce says, oh, she knows the kids think that the occult is cool, that Buffy told her Willow dabbles. And Willow says, yes, I'm a dabbler. 
After Joyce leaves, Willow guesses she ought to be grateful her mom's not interested in her extracurricular activities, given that reference to the occult, um, but then kind of trails off and says, or her curricular activities. In the hall, Buffy is trying to convince her mom that mom belongs at home and this is school and it's not good to mix them. But Joyce says she has to help, and she called everyone she knows in town and told them about the kid's murder. And they're all just as upset as she is. They set up a vigil for tonight, and the mayor will be there, and now we're going to get some action. Buffy is concerned or really stricken and tries to tell Joyce that they keep these things quiet when they are working on them. Joyce apologizes and then says, well, there probably won't be that many people there. So of course we cut, we're about 10 minutes in, to a very crowded town hall meeting. Buffy is with Willow, looks around and says, this is great, maybe we could all go patrolling together. But Willow again says, well, at least Joyce is there and interested, unlike her mom who is, and then she realizes that her mom is there. Sheila comes up, says hello to Willow and Bunny, and notices that Willow cut her hair and likes it, and Willow points out that she did that on a whim two months ago. Joyce joins them and then Giles. The two of them barely meet each other's eyes, but Giles does compliment her on the turnout and they have this conversation that's very awkward, like, well, it's been a while. And Giles says, not since, um, not since, well, it's been a while. A reference back to band candy when they slept together while under the influence of the candy that turned everyone into adolescents. Sheila says there is a rumor going around, and Giles says, about us? And then uh, says, uh, um, about what? Once again, proving, I think Oz said something to Giles about poker, not your game, and we see that again here. But Sheila says, uh, doesn't pick up on this tension and says, it's a rumor that witches are responsible. And Giles says, oh, how strange. But Sheila says, not really. She recently co-authored a paper and was shocked at the statistics. And then the mayor takes the microphone and starts to speak. So I see this next moment as the one quarter plot twist. I call it that because usually it comes about 25% through most novels. Sometimes with TV shows, it is a little bit later. It spins the story in a new direction, comes from outside the protagonist, and usually raises the stakes. Here, the mayor gives this speech about what a tragic crime this was, but what a caring community Sunnydale is, and it's a good town, and he vows never again, which is on posters and signs the townspeople are holding with photos of those children. At 12 minutes, 34 seconds in, Joyce takes the microphone and says, Mr. Mayor, you're dead wrong. This is not a good town. As misguided as Joyce turns out to be, she is a great speaker. She grabs the attention right away. She doesn't waste any of it while everyone's looking at her. And she plays on what the mayor said and contradicts it, creating a shock to everyone, which also gets them kind of viscerally and keeps them paying attention. And she heads right to the point. She says it's not a good town. 
town and talks then about how many people in town have lost someone who disappeared, have known someone who died with a neck rupture, and how everyone is too afraid to speak out. She goes on to say she was supposed to lead them in a moment of silence, but silence is this town's disease. So she is further drawing in the audience by empathizing with them, describing what they've experienced, going to those emotions, and turning on its head the idea of this moment of silence. She then goes on to say that too long, the town has been plagued by unnatural evil. It's not their town anymore. It belongs to the monsters and the witches and the slayers. And that's at 13 minutes, 23 seconds in. And if Joyce's first comments were not a turn this most definitely is because this spins the story when she says slayers we get a little ominous music we see Buffy's face in reaction and this is what will set Joyce and the entire town at odds with Buffy and Willow and the forces of good So this is huge, and it raises the stakes, literally, because this is what puts them all in danger and ends up with Willow, Amy, and Buffy tied to stakes. She goes on to say, we need to find the people who did this and make them pay. So she now has gone straight to action. So again, misguided as she is, what a great speech. The next scene is a reveal, in a sense, to the audience, though it is also a bit of a mislead. We're at almost 14 minutes in, and we see three students in black robes with hoods, and they have candles lit and a skull, and they are clearly doing a spell. One of them pushes back her hood. We see that it's Willow. The symbol that we saw on the children's hands, the murdered children's hands, is drawn in the center of their circle, and we cut to a commercial. On return, the boy from that circle, who we'll find out is named Michael, is at his locker. Other students are starting to attack him. One of the guys says people like him got to learn a lesson. Amy is there too. She protests, but they threaten her as well until Buffy appears. The main guy who was doing the bullying looks at her, lets go of Michael, and says, no problem here. We're walking and leaves. Amy thanks Buffy. Michael rushes away. Cordelia saw it all, and she tells Buffy that she's going to be really busy if she'll be protecting people like that. Buffy doubts there'll be any more trouble, and Cordelia says, I doubt your doubt, and goes on to say that they are witches and says, if you're going to hang with them, expect badness, because that's what you get when you hang with freaks and losers. Believe me, I know. She walks away, she pauses, and then says, that was a pointed comment about me hanging with you guys. Buffy says she got that, but witches didn't do this. However, Giles, who has come up behind her, tells her that actually witches probably did this. His research keeps coming back to this symbol, and it is one that witches use. He's pretty sure he found the meaning, but he needs some information from a book that Willow borrowed, and can Buffy find it? 
Buffy goes to one of the student lounging areas. Xander is sitting there and she asks him if Willow's around. We get a little more comic relief because he protests about why does everyone keep assuming that he knows where Willow is. Goes on a little rant and Buffy says, aren't these her books? And he says, yeah, she's in the restroom. But he's tired of all the judgment. And he specifically says, is a man not innocent until proven guilty? To which Buffy responds, you are guilty. But Xander claims he means future guilt, that everyone keeps thinking he'll mess up again, including Oz, who is just so quiet around Xander now. And Buffy points out, sure, right, because usually Oz is such a chatterbox. But Xander says, it's more of a verbal nonverbal. He speaks volumes with his eyes. I don't see anything in Oz's actions or words that suggests he does feel this way about Xander, but it does tell us something about Xander's psyche, and I think his feeling that everyone thinks I'm going to mess up again relates less to Willow and Oz and more to how he feels throughout life and probably how his parents treat him, though that certainly is not explicit in this episode. Buffy sees Willow's notebook, which is open, and the symbol is drawn on it. And when Willow joins her, Buffy is a bit accusatory, asking her what it is. And we get one of my favorite Willow lines, probably one of everybody's favorites. She says, a doodle. I do doodle. You too. You do doodle too. But Buffy tells her this is the symbol that was on the kid's hands. And before Willow can answer, the police come in and start breaking open student lockers. They're looking for occult supplies, though Xander is worried about the Playboys in his locker. Cordelia is mad when they take her hairspray, which she says was $45 and is imported. Amy tells them she has to go to Snyder's office because of what they found in her locker. And they find something as well in Willow's. She quickly tells Buffy the symbol was for a protection spell for her. It's not anything dangerous. It was for Buffy's birthday. And says, only now it's broken because you know about it. So, happy birthday. When Snyder tells Willow to come with him, Buffy surreptitiously takes Willow's books and notebook and walks away into the crowd. So despite that Willow has this symbol and could only offer this very hurried explanation, Buffy immediately believes her friend and sticks by her. We are now reaching the midpoint of the episode. Here in a well-structured story, we typically see either a major commitment by the protagonist or a major reversal. And here we get a reversal because when Buffy goes to the library to talk to Giles, she finds police filling boxes with books. They are confiscating them. If you like supernatural thrillers that delve into themes about the divine feminine, you can check out my Awakening Supernatural Thriller series. The ebook edition of book one, The Awakening, is free on any platform where you like to buy ebooks. And if you like it, you can buy the other three separately, or you can get the box set, which is discounted about 16.7% off the price of the books sold separately. Don't ask me about the math on that. That's just what it comes out to. And I would love to hear any of your thoughts thoughts about the series. 
So I hope that you will check it out. There is also a link in the show notes for the first book and the box set. To one side, Buffy tells Giles, the symbol is a protection symbol, and there is something odd going on here, but they can't research it because all the books are being taken away. Principal Snyder comes in. He finds Giles' anger and panic amusing. Buffy, too, is angry at Snyder, and he says if she has a problem with it, she can take it up with Moo, which is the acronym for Mothers Opposed to the Occult. When Buffy scoffs at the acronym and asks who came up with it, Snyder says, that would be the founder. I believe you call her mom. So I see that moment. We're about 21 minutes in, so very close to the midpoint, as the true reversal here. Yes, the police taking the books is bad, but finding out that her mother is behind it is a true reversal that Buffy suffers. Sheila is not too mad or worried at this point about Willow having magical supplies in her locker. She says it's a classic adolescent response to the pressures of incipient adulthood and talks about the psychology of girls Willow's age. Willow strives to get her mom to see her as an individual. But when Willow starts talking about being able to do spells... Sheila worries that she is delusional. Willow points out that how can her mom know what she can do because the last long conversation they had was about the patriarchal bias of the Mr. Rogers show. And we get another line I love, this one from Sheila. Well, with King Friday lording it over all the lesser subjects. And I just love that because I did watch Mr. Rogers as a kid and I I love the neighborhood of make-believe. But now I feel like I have to go back and see if Sheila Rosenberg is right. The only thing at first that shocks Sheila that Willow says is that she's dating a musician. All the same, Sheila grounds Willow, and she says she has talked to Joyce, and she has looked at uh, articles and consulted with colleagues, and she needs to, uh, she sees this as a call for discipline. Willow feels this is unfair because she never did anything wrong before. Sheila also tells her she has to stop speaking to that Bunny Summers. Willow, angry, starts claiming that she can call out the devil or Beelzebub and says something like, do you see any goats here? No, because I sacrificed them. We switch to Joyce and Buffy. It is about 24 minutes in, so it is just after Sheila tells Willow to stop seeing Bunny Summers. Joyce tells Buffy she doesn't want her seeing that Willow. She had no idea Willow's forays into the occult were so serious. They are sitting in a sort of side room that Joyce has made into an office. There are posters all over with these two children on them. And they argue over the police taking the books. And Joyce tells Buffy how much it scares her that any student can go in and get ideas from books. Buffy tries to convince Joyce to let her handle it, that this is what she does, dealing with terrible things like this. But Joyce questions whether Buffy is really doing any good. She says, 
Evil pops up, Buffy undoes it, but is Sunnydale getting any better? Are they running out of vampires? And she goes on to tell Buffy, it's not your fault. You don't have a plan. You just react to things. It's bound to be kind of fruitless. There is irony here because we saw in The Wish what Buffy just reacting and without a plan looks like. And it got Buffy killed. The Buffy in this world, what we think of as the real world, does have a plan. Maybe not the way Joyce sees it, but she does. But of course, Buffy doesn't know about what happened in The Wish. And of course, Joyce doesn't know. Buffy still pushes back against her mom and says, okay, maybe I don't have a plan. Lord knows I don't have lapel buttons. And maybe the next time that the world is getting sucked into hell, I won't be able to stop it because the anti-hell sucking book isn't on the approved reading list. So there is also a clear theme here that I didn't mention in the beginning, and I don't know how I didn't, of the danger of suppressing ideas, the danger of burning books, of confiscating books, having approved reading lists. This idea, Joyce expresses that fear. You don't want kids to have access to these materials. But Buffy gives the counterpoint, which clearly within the Buffyverse is the right answer. They need the books. They need access to that information. After Buffy leaves to go and react to some vampires, the boy and girl appear and reassure Joyce that she's doing the right thing. She's making things better. There are still bad people out there and they can't rest until Joyce hurts them the way they hurt the children. Buffy is at the playground. There are candles burning on the merry-go-round, a sort of vigil. An angel joins her. He says he's doing all right, maybe better than she is. And this is the first time we have seen them together since amends. He tells her he heard about the murders. Buffy tells him that people die in Sunnydale all the time and she never saw anything like this. And Angel responds by saying they were children, innocent. And Buffy says, and Mr. Sanderson from the bank had it coming? I love this statement in the middle of this episode that has some key themes in it but is really this one-off that we could pretty much lift right out of the season and have no effect yet that is such a striking statement the idea that we prioritize certain victims or we feel that certain deaths or certain crimes are more heinous depending on the victim and i have personally struggled with that i did a victim impact statement after my parents were killed by a drunk driver at his sentencing hearing and part of impact statements is that is the idea. You are talking about the impact on the community, on the family of this crime. So I talked a lot about the great things about my parents, all the volunteer work they did, their values, what wonderful people they were. And of course, that was very important to me. At the same time, I thought, well, would it would it be less of a crime if this man had run over, I don't know, people people who were jobless or homeless or if they were people who didn't have family to come in and talk about what they had done for their community or if they were people who weren't involved in their community who hadn't lived this life where you could point to all these great things they did would that make it less of a crime would that make it less important so it it is a really 
interesting question that that Buffy asks are some deaths more important or more shocking than others or why are they she also tells him about what her mother said and wonders if it is fruitless she says is Sunnydale any better than when I first came here and goes on to point out the bad keeps coming back and getting stronger which is another echo of the wish because we did get the answer to that question yes Sunnydale is way better off than if Buffy had not come there and Buffy goes on to say they never win not completely and Angel says we never will that's not why we fight we do it because there are things worth fighting for I love that as well and I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say in essence that is the theme of Angel the series but he also gives Buffy an idea because when he's talking about what's worth fighting for he says the kids their parents and Buffy has a thought based on that about the parents and we'll find out what it is in the next scene but I love that her talking with Angel he both offers emotional support and simply talking it through helps her sort through something and pick up on something that she hadn't thought about before and it shows once again Angel being a good partner to her a good friend and I do like that it does go a ways toward reestablishing Buffy and Angel having a good relationship we switch to Giles. We're nearly 29 minutes in. Giles is swearing at the computer because he's trying to get information without his beloved books. And in that sense, I am very Giles-like. That is the one time I really tend to swear is when the computer, I cannot make it do what I want it to do. However, unlike Giles, I do not think the computer is a fad, but I empathize with him. Uh, Xander and Oz intervene, and I think it's Xander who tells Giles he might do better with the computer if he didn't call it names. Buffy comes in and says, what do they know about these kids? What are the facts, the details? Where do they go to school? Who are their parents? What are their names? And Xander says, well, sure, we know their names, except nobody does. So Oz sits at the computer, definitely more qualified than Giles to try to get information, but he says that Willow is the one who would know. She is not allowed to come to the phone, but they don't need the phone, and he uses the computer to contact her which was a very novel and new and exciting thing at the time. Of course, now we would take that for granted. She links to Oz, opens her laptop, and she finds articles going back every 50 years showing these same two children, and they're killed, and they have this mark, and the town goes vigilante. One of the articles says community torn apart by suspicion. And she finds things going all the way back to 1649 and the Black Forest and there is a drawing there. So now we are at the three-quarter turn of the episode. That is the turn that grows out of the midpoint and spins the story in yet another new direction. Here at 31 minutes, 23 seconds in, Sheila comes into Willow's room, shuts the laptop, says Willow is not minding her. And now Sheila is taking Willow's claims about witchcraft seriously. She doesn't want Willow communicating with her cyber coven. 
And she says, uh, yes, she does believe Willow now. And all I can do is let you go with love. We get more ominous music and Sheila locks Willow in her bedroom. Even on first watching, this really bugged me because remember in season, pretty sure it was season two, Lie to Me, Willow lets Angel into her room he knocks on her patio doors. So there's a door interior to the house, and then there are these patio doors. So Sheila locks Willow in. Willow could just walk out those patio doors. But for this episode, those doors don't exist. Back to Giles. He explains that there is a fringe theory that some fairy tales have real incidents at the heart. He's saying something like, oh, you know, it's all all making sense now. And Buffy says, yeah, it's all falling into place. Of course, that place is nowhere near this place. And Giles makes it more clear and says, some demons feed us our darkest fears and watch us destroy ourselves. And these kids' names are Hans, I think it says Hans and Gretel, or Hans and Gret, and they realize Hansel and Gretel. They run home, they start talking about witches, and thousands of women are persecuted and burned. So this, too, is where we get that comment on fear, the dangers of fear and what it can do to a group of people, to a community or a mob. Buffy says she needs to talk to her mother. And right then, Michael, that boy from the beginning who got bullied, runs in and says he was attacked by his parents and tells them there's a trial at City Hall and they got Amy. Oz, of course, is worried about Willow particularly. The scene switches to Willow. Sheila tells her to get her coat. It's time to go. She has a group of people with her. And Willow tries to block the door. Buffy and Giles go to the Summer's home. Joyce is there with her group. They seem to be talking quite reasonably. But when Buffy draws Joyce aside to speak to her, Joyce and another group member overpower both of them with chloroform. And this is an instance where it is rare that anyone can sneak up on Buffy but here, it is her mom who Buffy trusts, and that is what makes her vulnerable. Buffy is lying on the floor. The little boy and girl appear on the stairs and tell Joyce they are still scared of the bad girls, and Joyce has to make them stop, has to make them go away forever. Oz and Xander rush into Willow's bedroom and see all the chaos there. There has clearly been a fight. And we switch to the town hall. It's 35 minutes, 14 seconds in. Willow, Amy, and Buffy are tied to giant stakes atop a pile of books. Buffy is still knocked out. Townspeople are gathered around with torches, uh, which raises the question, why are the townspeople doing this inside the town hall? Not a great place to start a fire. Apparently demons can influence people, but do not help their intelligence. And I wonder if the writers did that as a comment on the mob mentality, on the lack of sense the fact that people really do take leave of their senses in that circumstance, or if they just wanted the symbolism of it taking place in the town hall. At the summer's home, Giles is still passed out on the floor. Cordelia is slapping him in the face until he wakes up and then complains that her hand hurts. She tells him things have gotten way out of control and is mainly talking about things about herself, but says she came there to tell Buffy that she had to stop it. 
And then she pauses to ask how many times Giles has been knocked out now and says, I swear, one of these days you're going to wake up in a coma. Giles staggers to his feet and says, we need to save Buffy from Hansel and Gretel. As Cordelia follows him out, she says, now let's be clear. The brain damage happened before I hit you. Oz and Xander are at the town hall. They're trying to get the townspeople to let them join the mob. The townspeople are not fooled, partly because Oz can't help himself from commenting on how out there they all are. So they run. Buffy, inside the locked large room, wakes up, tries to persuade Joyce that she doesn't want to do this. And Joyce says it doesn't matter what she wants. I wanted a normal happy daughter. Instead, I got a slayer. This is such an awful thing that Joyce says, and even though she's under a spell, I find it so disturbing, and it's it's part of why I just have never loved this episode, because I just hate thinking that Buffy's mom would say these things. I think I find them so troubling because they echo some of the things that Joyce says when she's not under a spell. It's certainly more extreme, but we know that this is partly how Joyce feels. So I can accept that this demon can influence her to set a fire and see her daughter burn at the stake, but I guess not that this very real sentiment comes out of Joyce and we never really deal with it. Amy does a spell. Um, She does her go-to spell before the let the unclean thing crawl and calls on the goddess of Hecate. I don't think this was her intent, but it turns her into a rat and she runs away. And Buffy says she couldn't do us first. Willow and Buffy then try to bluff, claiming they too have this power, and Willow says it's a really big power. And Buffy threatens the townspeople that they'll all be turned into vermin, and in another line I love uh, says something like, and some of you will be fish. Yes, you in the back there, you'll be fish. And one guy says that maybe they should go, but then the little kids appear to everyone and beg for help. We're about 38 and a half minutes in. Cordelia is in the car with Giles. He's driving. He's giving her instructions. She's crushing herbs. He's trying to remember a German incantation about lifting a veil, but he doesn't have his books. She's grossed out when um, he tells her to put a toadstone into the mixture, and she says it doesn't look like a toad. And he tells her there's no reason it should. It's from inside the toad. And Cortelia says, I hate you. This is one of the minor ways that we move the season three arc because it does draw Cordelia back into the Scooby gang. Yes, she came to Buffy. I forget what her concerns were, but she wasn't necessarily seeing the big picture of the danger to the town, but she was seeing things that disturbed her for herself, and she went to Buffy. And now she is helping Giles, grossed out or not, and she will save the day, or at least help save the day. Oz and Xander at the town hall, they can hear Willow screaming, and they climb up in through a vent up into it it's not exactly the ventilation system i guess it's the space between the ceiling and the drop ceiling and i always wonder two buildings really have this this is such a trope 
in horror and action movies that people climb up into this space. Uh, could you really climb along there without falling through? Um, although we will see that they do fall through. But any contractors or architects out there, I would love to know. So now we are reaching the climax where our opposing forces confront one another and have their final clash and we resolve the conflict. We're about 39 and a half minutes in. The flames are burning because the townspeople lit all those books that they're using as kindling. And the flames are coming very close to Willow and Buffy. Buffy tells Joyce she won't be able to live with herself if she goes through with this. And Joyce tells Buffy she earned it by toying with unnatural forces. Again, just so troubling to me. Giles and Cordelia burst into City Hall and Giles grabs a hairpin from Cordelia's hair and uses it to pick the lock to that main room. And Cordelia comments, God, you really were the little youthful offender, weren't you? Buffy is struggling with her bonds. She's not able to get out of them and she apologizes to Willow. But then she sees Cordy and Giles at the back. Cordelia breaks the glass and gets out a fire hose and starts spraying the townspeople, really angry at them. And Buffy yells at her to put out the fire. And she does. So in that sense, she saves the day. She puts out the fire, saving not just Buffy, but Willow. Oz and Xander are still up in that drop ceiling. The flames are out. There's lots of smoke everywhere. And Giles does the incantation and throws the mixture of herbs and toadstones. And the two little kids turn to each other, hug each other, and then start to grow and turn into this giant, ugly demon. And Cordelia looks at it, and I love this line too. She says... Okay, I think I like the two little ones more than the one big one. You can find back episodes of the podcast and all my fiction at my author website, lisalily.com. That's L-I-S-A-L-I-L-L-Y.com. If you enjoyed the show and want to see it continue, you can support Buffy and the Art of Story on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash L-Lily, double L-I, double L-Y. Buffy keeps struggling and she gets that giant stake wrenched up out of that pile, but she is still tied to it and she bends over so that her back is flat and the stake sticks out straight and the demon runs right into it and is impaled. And Buffy can't see because she is looking down at the ground and she says, did I get it? Did I get it? I don't know why I have never loved those lines either. I think it is rarely am I a fan of sort of goofy Buffy and this this is definitely goofy Buffy. We are now in the falling action where we tie up loose ends. There isn't a huge amount of it. We're already at 42 and a half minutes in. Oz and Xander fall through that ceiling. So at least we do get a little nod to reality here that the drop ceiling is not going to hold them up forever. And it's a great line because Oz says as they're on the floor amid all this dust and debris from the ceiling, we're here to save you. 
In the next scene, Willow and Buffy are in Willow's room. Willow tells Buffy her mom is doing that selective memory thing that Joyce used to be so good at. And the only thing she remembered is that Willow is dating a musician. So Oz has to come to dinner next week. And she says it's sort of like taking an interest in her. They try a spell. Um, It's clear they've tried before. Willow thinks she's got it right. And the spell involves the goddess Hecate and licensing her to withdraw. But Amy the rat still just uh, is there on her hind legs squeaking, not turning back into Amy. And Buffy suggests that they could get her one of those wheel thingies. And the episode ends. This is an episode I have struggled with. It has a ton of foreshadowing for the rest of the season. And I'll talk about that in spoilers. So it, it does in some ways set up a lot or at least maybe more so hint at a lot. But as I mentioned, you really could lift it right out and it barely affects season three. Joyce's words and actions are ignored. There's there's no falling action resolving Buffy's relationship with her mom. We don't even know what Joyce remembers or doesn't from this. And I don't think it's ever mentioned again. Sheila also This is unresolved. Yeah, we get that she does this selective memory thing, but it doesn't seem to have any lasting effect on Willow's relationship with her mother. We did have that slight movement in Cordelia being a little more drawn back into the group, a little bit of movement with Angel and Buffy because we see them seeming very natural with each other. But that in itself, I find difficult because in Amends, we had that snowfall that kept Angel from killing himself and he walks through the town with Buffy and because we've got the snow and the holiday imagery, we're meant to take it, I think, as that angel will be okay now. But it is weird that there's no fallout from that. There's, there's no acknowledgement of it other than Buffy asking how Angel is and he says he's doing okay. And I think at one point he does say to her, you know, I'm still figuring things out. But it, it just, it feels a little off in that sense to me, a little bit out of character that Angel was so distraught, ready to end his life. And now he's like, oh, I'm still figuring things out, but I'm fine. Also... Faith is completely absent. I don't think she is even mentioned. And it feels weird because an extra slayer would be super handy right here. Maybe they say something about her being off on a walkabout or something, which is sort of the standard get rid of faith thing that the writers do. But that feels off to me because faith could make a huge difference here. And I I am sure there are production reasons for that. Eliza Dushku probably was not considered an ongoing character. They, They planned certain episodes without her. But from a storytelling perspective, that is also what feels off to me. I do like the strong themes we have here, the book burning, as I mentioned. The episode is saying it is better to have knowledge than not. It is better to have those resources. Also, this echoes a bit the themes from the third episode of the entire series, The Witch, which Amy also was in. That strong suggestion here that perhaps a lack of interest or at least some distance is really better because we have Willow complaining about 
her mother not having an interest in her and sort of envying Buffy. And yet Joyce's involvement, Joyce finding these children does set off all of this. Now, probably someone else would have found those children. We would have had the same result overall, but Buffy probably would not have been at the center of it and not personally in danger. And certainly Sheila, we see Willow is much better off when her mother was uh, pretty much ignoring her. So that is very interesting that there is this sense that perhaps it's better when parents don't really know what their kids are doing. Now that may be an unintentional result of telling a story about mob rule and mob mentality, but given the very personal things Joyce says to Buffy about, you know, getting a slayer when she wanted a normal daughter, it seems deliberate. And there are the more obvious themes of uh, the danger of fear, the mob rule, and vigilante justice. And this episode does underscore why Buffy is so adamant about not killing humans. We see in the beginning that she is tempted to break that rule, but this is the result when people try to take justice into their own hands, and the show does very clearly come out against that because it turns out the townspeople are the ones doing evil. There is no DVD commentary about this episode, but we will have some next week with Helpless. Uh, David Fury does a commentary on that, so I'm looking forward to that. Other than spoilers and foreshadowing, which I hope you'll stick around for, that is it for this episode. I hope you will come back next Monday for Helpless, which is Buffy's 18th birthday, and she and Giles are put to the test. We are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. Of course, there is Amy, who unfortunately for her does stay a rat for quite some time. And deratting Amy is a running theme and reflects Willow's growing power or her doubts about it because she will make comments about, I can't even derat Amy. And in Something Blue in season four, it's really fun because for a moment she brings Amy back, but she doesn't know it because she casts that spell to do her will and she's just kind of rambling to herself and Amy comes back behind her. We see Amy for a second, look around, and then she's back to a rat. So Willow doesn't know that she actually has done it. Then in season six, Willow is becoming so powerful and she figures out almost as an afterthought how to bring Amy back. What we don't get here is much foreshadowing of what Amy will be like as a character in season six because when she is returned from being a rat, she seems far more powerful than she was in this episode when the only spell she could do turned herself into a rat and got her stuck there. And then in season six, she's much more powerful and it causes a lot of concern 
for mainly Xander, I think. I don't think Buffy at the moment is paying that much attention when he points out that now Willow has this magical playmate, which is the worst possible thing at that moment. And then in season seven, Amy, angry partly because Willow has remained so much more powerful and because Willow more or less cut her out of her life, becomes for, uh, I think it's just one episode, but does become a villain. And I I don't think that we see any of that foreshadowed here. However, I do love the Amy as a rat story. The other foreshadowing is, uh, I guess I would call it more of a hint or the writers having a bit of fun, this repetition of bad girls. Foreshadowing the episode with Faith and Buffy, that is called bad girls. When Buffy is leaning a bit toward a dark side, although I think that's strong, Buffy is is having fun. She is, to some extent, adopting Faith's view that, hey, we're the Slayers. We can do whatever we want. This also foreshadows or sets up a cautionary tale about what happens when forces that see themselves as good decide that killing human beings is okay. So we are setting up that danger. We are reminding the audience of the rule about slayers not killing people, which sets the stage for the consequences when faith does kill a human being. The protection spell also will come back in a minor way in Bad Girls when Willow is so sad because she is giving Buffy, she does a new protection spell. I don't know that we refer back to this particular one that gets spoiled, but she has this amulet or something for Buffy that is meant for protection, and she's really excited to give this to Buffy, and then kind of devastated when Faith appears and Buffy goes off to patrol with Faith, leaving Willow behind and leaving Willow out. Willow's growing power is foreshadowed here in a minor way. That moment when Willow says to Sheila, you know, do you see any goats? No, because I sacrificed them. And she will sacrifice a goat in season six in a very emotional scene and I love that the writers used that minor detail or maybe they didn't maybe they didn't even think back to this episode but I I just love that that is here and if you watch the whole series you will see Willow do that and also it is associated with Willow going a bit to the dark side in that. She doesn't tell Tara what, uh, I think it's called the blood of the mother. She doesn't tell her what it is, just that she needs it for the spell and claims she got it on the black market and she actually had to kill this goat and drain its blood. The guy at the locker who is about to beat up Michael, the fact that he leaves when Buffy appears gives us a setup for toward the end of the season when Buffy will get that class protector award and there will be outward recognition from the school for what she has done. And that is something that she has not gotten. And I love that this is here. I am sure I did not really notice that when I watched the first time through or even several of the first watches through the series. It does lay that groundwork so that we are surprised when Buffy gets that award, but it also fits with what we saw before. And finally, we get that mention of Buffy's birthday next 
week and next week's episode will be helpless when Buffy on her 18th birthday is put through this horrible test that you could argue is actually meant to kill her. So that is it for this episode. Thank you again for listening. I hope you will come back next Monday for Helpless, yet another life-threatening birthday for Buffy. If you would like to comment on the show, you can email me, lisa at lisalily.com or tweet me at Lisa Amazon Marie Lily hashtag Buffy story. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.